Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And whenever there's an arranged marriage, I've seen this before several times, when there's no romantic courtship of the woman to light the fire where she falls madly in love, that creates a problem in the marriage because the wife feels that her feelings of love have just been disregarded. I know of several couples where this is the case. There are problems. I know of one husband who didn't romantically court his wife, but it was decided by his family and her family that this would be a good wife for him. And today... He, he wants her to be madly in love with him, and he's fallen all over with the I love yous and everything, it's, and he, because he never romantically courted her before they got married. I know of two men who made the announcement to, to, the, to the, the women they wanted to marry when they said, I think it's God's will that we get married. Now, that's not exactly romantic courtship. That, that, that doesn't leave the, the woman with being madly in love. You know, the I think it's God's will that we get married is about as romantic as a sterile draft notice. <laughs> saying you are needed in the service of your country. Right? Marriages like that, they can work, and they do work, but so often there's just not in the wife the spark of being madly in love. See, when a man falls in love with a, with a girl, he does and says amazing things over the top. You know, I remember Cheryl told me, when I remember doing this, when we were dating, that I told her, I said, if I was a weaver, I would weave a wreath of kisses for the top of your head. <laughs> I thought, and I thought, a wreath of kisses? I thought, not, not bad, pretty good. I, said, I thought, watch out, Solomon. All right, so anyway, there's something to be said for romantic courtship, and I'm not sure what should be said for romantic courtship, but there's something that should be said for romantic courtship. Anyway, so it says that Isaac loved Rebecca. In Genesis 24, 67, Isaac brought her into his mother's tent and uh, took Rebekah. She became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. It never says that Rebekah loved Isaac. God blessed Isaac with those, anyway. So when we consider the person of Isaac, Isaac was a weak, pliable person who wasn't manly. That was not Isaac. He wasn't manly. In this regard, Isaac stands in contrast to Abraham. Abraham was firm. Abraham was a manly type of person. Isaac stands in contrast to his son Jacob, well, especially to his other son Esau, but Jacob also. Hey, Jacob's a very determined person. He's going to get married to Rachel if it takes him 14 years. And he's manly. But compared to, to Abraham and, and Jacob, Isaac is just different. He's just not that type of personality. And he comes in between Abraham and Jacob, and he's a kind of a contrast to his father Abraham and to his son uh, Jacob, who's got all this determination and firmness and manliness. With that type of person that, that Isaac was, it, his, it's just natural for his faults to kind of come to the foreground and his good qualities to kind of fall to the background. And Because Isaac as a person, he's reserved outwardly. And, and, but inwardly, he's strong in God. And Isaac was the son of Abraham's dead body. And Isaac is the son that should have died. You know, Isaac can never forget the memory of the knife drawn over him that can never be extinguished from his, from his mind. But when we think of Isaac's weak, reserved personality, and we read in verse 11 that God blessed Isaac, it shows us 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. 
For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, not are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. See, Isaac was weak. He had a lot of problems, but God chose him, and he made up for Isaac all that Isaac was not. Isaac, in his weakness, found everything that he was not in God. And those verses are interesting because it talks about all that we are not, and therefore God chooses us. I mean, we're not wise. We're, we're foolish. We're not strong. We're weak. But then those verses, after they make clear all that we're not, go on to say that the Lord Jesus Christ made unto us wisdom, righteousness. So in the last part of verse 11, we are told where Isaac has chose to live. And uh, it says that he chose to live by the well of Lahiroi. Now, Abraham's tent, or Abraham's camp, was primarily in the city of Hebron, and the flocks grazed in Beersheba. But here we see Isaac has chosen to live by the well Lahiroi. Now, this well of Lahiroi was Hagar's well, because this was the well that, that, that God spoke to Hagar. And, and we saw earlier that, that, that he, he liked this place. He was there when Rebekah came, and he met Rebekah at Lahiroi. But more importantly, the well, the highway, was the place where Isaac met with God. It was a solitary place. It was a place of, of seclusion. And Isaac, he loved solitude. He loved seclusion. And that was Isaac. He was a man that took time to consider. He was a man that loved to contemplate. You need quietness. You need to be alone to do that. And when we think of the well, the highway, and what God said to Hagar there, it was at that well when Hagar thought her life was over and she was going to perish along with the unborn child in her in the desert. And God found her and said to her in Genesis 16, 10 to 11, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, behold, thou art with child and shall bear a son. See, they didn't have ultrasound in those days, so he didn't know, so God told him. And you'll call his name Ishmael because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. See, when she thought, just at the moment, she thought, my life is over. Then God came to her and told her, your life's not over. You're going to have a son, and I'm going to multiply him. So what does that represent for Hagar? Vision. She thought her vision was death by the well. But God said, no. God said, when she looked at her circumstances, she saw death and her no vision for her future. But when she heard from God, Hagar then heard, her saw life and vision for her future. See, for those reasons, Isaac loved this well because it represented life and vision to him. And like Hagar, when Isaac looked at himself, he saw death, he saw no vision for the future, but that well represented for Isaac a looking away from himself and to God in whom he saw life for himself and vision for his future. See, that's the same for us. When we look within ourselves and our circumstances, we see death and we see no vision for our future. But when we do like Hagar and Isaac did at that well of the highway, then we, we, like them, we see life for ourselves and we see vision for our future. And we need the vision, as it says in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, 
Here's a question for you. Can you think of any reason why that well of Lahairoi was not an easy place for Isaac to be at? You give me a reason? Why do you think it, yeah, Ken? Yeah? Okay, because of memories of the path, that's right. Because, because of Hagar and Ishmael, you know? And uh, who was Hagar and Ishmael to Isaac? Who was Hagar? She was the bitter rival enemy to his mother, Sarah. And Isaac loved his mother, Sarah, deeply. And yet it was this, is at this well that, her, that, that his mother's arch rival and enemy received life and uh, the message of life and vision. See, this was Hagar's well. Hagar hated his mother, and his mother hated Hagar. And Isaac chose to live at Hagar's well. That was not easy for Isaac, old pal, old buddy boy. It wasn't easy for him to go live at Hagar's well, where her son Hagar had mocked him and wanted to displace him. See, for Isaac's life, it would have been a lot simpler if there was no Hagar. Now, a lot simpler for Sarah if there was no Ish- Hagar. Sorry, it would have been a lot simpler for him if there was no Ishmael. But it was at that well where Ishmael was announced. You know, God gave the birth announcement for Ishmael. He's going to be born. God gave his name. He's going to call him Ishmael. And his future is secured by God. It was as easy for Isaac to live by Hagar's well than it would be for an Israeli to live by the place where Al-Qaeda was born. You know, Hagar and Ishmael are not neutral characters in Isaac's life. Isaac was loyal to his mother, Sarah, and Sarah hated Hagar, and she hated Ishmael. Hagar and Ishmael were the arch enemies of his mother, Sarah. And since Isaac was so tied to his mother, Sarah, that made Hagar and Ishmael Isaac's enemies. But verse 11 tells us that Isaac lived by her well. And Isaac lived at the enemy's well. He would live at no other place than Hagar's well, than his enemy's well. See, for Isaac to live by Hagar's well took a lot of humility for Isaac. If Hagar's well had had so many bad memories, as you said, Ken, for Isaac, with the establishment of his arch enemy and rival and his mother and, and so forth, why did Isaac choose to live there, of all places? Because that was the place where God spoke to Isaac. And if Isaac wanted to be in the place where God would speak to him, he had to go there. Isaac had to put away all his feelings of hatred of his enemies. Isaac, for Isaac to live at Hagar's well meant that Isaac had a tremendously difficult choice to make. See, Isaac had to choose between holding his grudge against his enemies, Hagar and Ishmael, doing that, you walk away from the place where God speaks to you. Or... The choice is you bury your grudge against your enemies and you go to the place where God speaks to you. See, Isaac had to make this decision and and the decision was just how important was it for Isaac to hold on to that grudge against his enemies because because Isaac's future with God was on the line. And and when the last part of verse 11 says that Isaac dwelt by the well, the high we we see that Isaac chose God and if it meant burying his grudge against his enemies, so be it. That choice that Isaac made when he dwelt by the well, the high rate of choosing God over his grudge, over his enemies, is exactly the choice that the Lord Jesus Christ presents to us when he said in Matthew 5, 43 through 45, you've heard that it's been said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. That's Ishmael. He's cursing Isaac. He hates Isaac. Pray for them to spitefully use you, persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. 
See, the Lord Jesus said in those verses, we are to make that hard decision to love our enemies just as Isaac made the hard decision to, to love his enemies, Hagar and Ishmael. And the reason we're to make the hard decision to love our enemies is the same reason Isaac chose to love his enemies. So we and Isaac can be the children of our heavenly father. And so we and Isaac can be the children that are in fellowship with our heavenly father. The choice between holding a grudge and not holding a grudge against our enemies is really a choice. You want fellowship with God or not? And for Isaac, that was the easy decision. He chose fellowship with God and therefore love his enemies. That's why we see Isaac dwelling by the well, Lahairoi, in verse 11. He decided, to, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to my feelings of revenge. This week I heard of a person who um, was fired from a big organization, a Christian, and he said, I've been praying the wrath of God down on that organization, and I've been praying that I get to see it. That's not exactly loving your enemies. <laughs> and Isaac decided to die to himself, and, he was, he, and, and his justifiable feelings of anger toward his enemies, Hagar and Ishmael, in order to, but he said, I'm going to die to that because I want to meet with God. And so I'll be over here. Just look me up at Hagar's well. The well, the high roy. Now I come to verse 12, where we're told the generations. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bare unto him. These are the generations. Here's this phrase. These are the generations. Commonly used Hebrew word for generations, teladok, and which comes from the Hebrew word yalad for children. In First Chronicles 1, 28-30, these are the teledoth, the generations of Abraham. Genesis 36, 1, these are the teledoth, generations of Esau. Genesis 37, 1, these are the teledoth, generations of Jacob. What this is showing us is that God is taking notice of the generations. It's showing us no one vanishes from history without an accounting. No one will vanish into annihilation without an accounting. Like it says in 1 Peter 1.17, you call on the Father who without respect to persons judgeth according to every man's work past the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now verse 12, we say how Hagar is referred to as the Egyptian. And now we'll have in the next three verses the names of the grandchildren uh, who become the Arab peoples. See, by calling their grandmother Hagar, the Egyptian makes them Hagarites, Hagarites, which is how they are identified in 1 Chronicles 5.10, where it says, Saul made war with the Hagarites. It all came from her. And these people became the people who populated, as it says, from Saudi Arabia up through Syria. And it says in verse 13 that, that, that they had 12 princes, like Israel has 12 princes. And now we come to the summary of the life of Ishmael, where it says in verse 17, these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people. So here in this verse, we see the summary of the life of Ishmael. And in this chapter, we've also seen something very similar, the summary of the life of Abraham. Very similar words in verse 7 where it said about Abraham, these are the days, remember? We talked about it. These are the days of the years of the life of Abraham's life, which he lived, 103 score and 15 years. Now, these two verses are very similar, between, and, and, but there is one little yet important difference between verse 7 and 17. What's the difference? You look at verse 7, sorry? Days, days, see? Verse 7, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life. Verse 17, these are the years of the life of, of Ishmael. There's no mention of days. In Abraham's case, it says these are the days, but in Ishmael's case, these are the years. See, Ishmael's case doesn't say these are the days. 
The summary of Abraham's life is so important, his days, that it's called out. But the summary of Ishmael's life, there's no importance to his days. It's being called out. Why? Because in the life of Ishmael, he had no momentous days with God. Abraham is seen as having momentous, great days with God. But Ishmael is not seen as having those great, momentous days with God. That's not to say that Ishmael did not achieve, did not build tremendously on earth compared to Abraham, over the top. Ishmael far outweighed Abraham in terms of what he built and accomplished and achieved on earth. We can see this in verse 16 when it talks about Ishmael and his sons and their outstanding achievements of building great towns and castles, naming them after them, their, the, the sons. But by contrast, Abraham, he didn't build one town. Abraham, he didn't build one castle. And there are no places named for Abraham. Abraham's name is not even there. If Abraham was living here, he would say, don't call that annex Abraham's Hall. He wouldn't do that. It appears that Ishmael and his sons, they had notable days when they had those towns and castles that were built, but it appears that Abraham, he didn't have any notable days of building on earth. But that's not how heaven sees it. Heaven sees great, momentous days in the life of Abraham. A great, momentous day in heaven's estimation is a day when Abraham met with God, is a day when Abraham prayed in intercession to God, is a day when Abraham worshiped God. That was a great, momentous day in Abraham's life. A great, momentous day in heaven's estimation is a day when God was trusted and relied on. Heaven takes notice of those great momentous days, and that's why in the case of Abraham, it says, and these are the days in the life of Abraham. Heaven does not see any great momentous days in the life of Ishmael with all the building of the towns and the castles. Heaven doesn't see any great momentous days of prayer in the life of Ishmael. There's no great momentous days in the life of Ishmael when he intercedes for others or when he worships God. There's no great momentous days in the life of Ishmael when he trusts and relies on God. And since there were no great momentous days in Ishmael's life, the summary of his life in verse 17 does not call out days, but just a not great, a not momentous blur of years. With the words of verse 17, these are the years of the life of Ishmael. We live, you and I, we live in the middle of a sea of Ishmaels all around us. Ishmaels all around us who only live for today. Ishmaels all around us who have no great momentous days with God. For them, their lives are like Ishmael with no great momentous days with God. Ishmaels all around us who achieve what they think are great accomplishments, building families and businesses and buildings and writing books, and they're like Ishmael, no great momentous days with God. What are we to do as as we live in the sea of all these Ishmaels? Rescue the Ishmaels from perishing. To tell them that, that with all their accomplishments, there's only one life which will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, when we look at verse 17, where it says Ishmael gave up the ghost and died, we compare it again to verse 8, where it also says Abraham gave up the ghost and died. Now, after it says that about Abraham, and after it says that about Ishmael, what is missing about the description of Ishmael? Well, I assume he was buried. Okay, (laughs) what else? Keep going. His life was, what word is missing? It's present in verse 
You'll see it there. It's present in verse 8. It's not present in verse 17. We've been talking about it. It starts with an S. <laughs> it rhymes with saber. <laughs> Anybody? Going Satisfied? Is that what you said? Well, you did say satisfied. You're right, Ken. <laughs> Full. Sabia. It's not there with Ishmael. It's there with Abraham. It's not there. Abraham was satisfied with his life on earth. He was ready to leave. He'd had enough of this world. But that word, full, sabia, satisfied, it's missing in the description of Ishmael when he died. See, Ishmael was not full. Ishmael was not sabia. He wasn't satisfied at the end of his life. He was, he, Ishmael died a frustrated, unfulfilled, not satisfied man. He didn't want to die, and he was not tired of the world. And death came as a grand interruption. Now, we see, we see how old Ishmael was when he died. It was just a mere 137 years old. Well, I know it sounds like a long time, but when you compare that to Abraham, who was 180 years old, and to Isaac, who was 175 years old, he was a young man, 137. What's interesting, because I'm sure that Ishmael, seeing himself as the man of La Mancha, an outdoors man, a man of health and robustness, he never would have thought that, that he would have died so much younger than those frail his frail Isaac, for example, half-brother, which shows what James said. We need to heed that in James 4, 4 13 through 14, 13, 14, 13 through 16. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. So now we read in verse 18, they dwelt in Havilah unto Shur, which is before Egypt, as thou goest towards Syria. And he died in the presence of all his brethren. So we read that Ishmael died in the presence of all his brethren. That's the second time in the book of Genesis that we read this phrase about Ishmael, in the presence of all his brethren. So we read that when God spoke to Hagar, in verse 12 of chapter 16, he said about Ishmael, he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he will dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Same phrase. See here, God told Hagar that Ishmael is gonna be a wild man. He's gonna be a fighter. He's gonna, everyone's his enemy and he's the enemy of everyone. He's wild, he's obnoxious. No one liked him. Ishmael was a boaster. He bragged about how wild and great he was in the presence of all his brethren. And then in verse 18, it says, and he died in the presence of all his brethren. In the Hebrew, the word died is not there. Mut, the Hebrew word mut, that's not, what the, that's not the word. But it's, it, it, the word that's translated died is really the word that we studied before, nafal, fall. So really, literally, verse 18 reads, and he fell in the presence of his brethren. Maybe that means he had a sudden heart attack or a stroke or fell down dead. We don't know. But we do know that when he died in the presence of all his brethren, brethren there, they saw at a relatively younger age a bragger, an obnoxious, a fighter fall down dead. And that sight is a lesson because it really answers the question, who really flourishes? See, in Psalm 92.7, it says, when the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. Psalm 92, 12, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He'll grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Psalm 92, 13, those that be planted 
in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. He that trusted in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Proverbs fourteen eleven. The house of the wicked shall be overthrown, but the tabernacle, the tent of the upright, shall flourish. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for preserving all of this for us, Lord, so that we can be your children, sit in your classroom, and, and, and learn from our God. And, and help us to be good students, Lord, who are not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word also, in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor in the service on Facebook Live through the Friendship with God Facebook page. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.